and welcome to Pound the Rock, the score's NBA podcast. The season draws ever nearer, and to tee up some more 2022-23 NBA season content, I am joined, as always, by my co-host Joseph Cacharo. I don't know if I introduced myself, actually, off the top. I'm Joe Wolfond. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Joseph Cacharo. Talk to me, Cash. Uh, so preseason basketball is underway. And Ben Simmons has 10 points on 18 individual possessions. How the hell are you, Joel? <laughs> just Okay, can just, I just say... No, listen, I, 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 I wanted to start with a bit of a joke, and that's what that was. Yeah. I mean, it's not a joke. It's actually a real... It's it's a real-life stat, but I'm not, I'm not using it as like a harbinger of things to come. I just thought it was a great way to open this week's pod. Okay, well, like, you can say that Simmons' career up to this point has been a harbinger of things to come <laughs> because he is, he is a passive offensive player. But, like, I saw this clip bouncing around Twitter yesterday where he was posting up Kyle Lowry who's an underrated post defender for a guy who's six I don't know how he's still underrated I agree with you but I don't know how he's still underrated if smart basketball people by virtue of being only six feet tall right like yeah yeah he is a much better post defender than his height would indicate yes and there's a double team coming and Bam is like lurking on the backside in case he decides to go with a spin move or something and move toward the basket. And and he he kicks out of the double team in the post to like a pretty wide open Royce O'Neal who simultaneously gets like a pin in screen on the wing and gets a clean look at a three. And he's getting roasted on Twitter for like passing out of a post up on Kyle Lowry. And it's like, look, we can, made the right we can be measured in our criticisms of Ben Simmons. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't have to run him down for every perceived inadequacy. And I just thought, I mean, that was like the right basketball play objectively. Yeah. And uh, let's just scale it down a bit. I, I didn't watch that Nets Heat game, but it seemed like it went very poorly for Brooklyn, which is, uh, you don't want to read too much into, into preseason, obviously, but there always is going to be like a little something to take away. And I know like Kyrie didn't even play in that game. So right. who knows? But yeah, I look, we've talked, I think a bunch about wh- what is this guy going to look like in this new offensive environment? And so far it seems like he's the exact same guy. One, so, one more, one more just funny note that we do not have to get into at all, but I just want to throw it out there before we get to uh, the rest of our show talking about preseason and you know what it means. And the Adelaide 36ers team, that beat the Suns, despite the Suns' five starters all playing 20 plus yeah, minutes. Yeah, just lost by like 40 points to the Thunder. Just lost by like 33 points to the Thunder. Yeah, I just wanted to spend some mention that. All right, to today's show now. Yeah, so okay, we're we're going to do our breakout players on today's episode, um, one of our favorite annual traditions. But before we get into that, we probably got to talk a little bit about this Draymond Green-Jordan Poole incident, which had been widely reported on but until this morning and i mean i certainly didn't ever expect to get actual footage of this incident but lo and behold this morning uh video did circulate of that incident and it looked pretty vicious uh so draymond is facing a team suspension we don't entirely know what the fallout from that is going to be uh, on a punitive level or just on uh, an interpersonal level, you know, looking ahead to this Warriors season. There was reporting from both Chris Haynes and Vincent Goodwill at Yahoo about how this had been kind of a long time coming and bubbling under the surface for a while. I think Haynes said there was history between the two of them and that 
players on the Warriors had noticed, quote, a change in Poole's behavior in the midst of, you know, extension talks between him and the team. And we we can talk about how that may or may not have factored into. Yeah. And real quick, incident, I don't know. Did you see Andre Iguodala's tweet that night? I didn't. What, what so, did you say? Andre Iguodala seemed to take exception to that reporting that uh, there was some sort of change in Jordan Poole and tweeted that night, almost immediately after the report came out, what we're not going to do is talk crazy about my young fella, JP. Great character kid. Missed me with all that other BS. This is coming straight from the quote unquote source. Uh, and then I believe Bob Myers yesterday in speak. I mean, obviously, what's he going to say? Yeah, Jordan Poole has changed. But Bob Myers did talk about how much the team enjoys Jordan Poole and what like a yeah. great like champion spirit he has. So I'm not going to say like Chris Haynes reporting was wrong, but I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious where Chris Haynes reporting was coming from. Like Draymond, a certain, a, a certain Draymond dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, it may be, maybe Jordan Poole has acted a bit different or whatever while the st- extension gets worked out. But I, I don't think it would surprise any of us if Draymond Green was also acting different while he's upset that his extension is not going to get worked out, right? Like, Well, I think that is what makes this situation so interesting. And so I will put this question to you because I know, well, I don't actually know entirely how I feel about it, but I have a lot of thoughts swirling around in my head about what it might. Maybe, you know, portend is the wrong word, I guess, but the implications of it in the bigger picture. This is the kind of thing that, Typically, I feel like I would have been willing to wave away and say, look, like we've we've done this song and dance with Draymond before. And we know, you know, at the end of the day, like we've seen all the incidents in the past where obviously the KD thing (laughs) being the most prominent of those. But like there was the one where he got in that screaming match with Steve Kerr in the locker room, you know, saying I'm not a robot other incidents for sure that I can't be bothered to remember right now, but we've gone through this before. And I think the the point is like Draymond is just perpetually on that knife's edge and everyone who's played with him will talk about how that is just sort of part of his process. And like you, they need to let Draymond be Draymond and ultimately it gets swept under the rug and they go on and they make the finals or they win the championship. And it's all, I don't want to say like the ends justify the means necessarily, but that kind of is the way it gets looked at in hindsight is like, this was part of Draymond's necessary competitive energy or whatever. Um, Does this feel different to you? Like, do you feel like there is a coming back from this and then ultimately that's going to happen again, where we'll just look back and be like, you know, it does all get swept under the rug or is this something that's going to linger and turn into a bigger problem? I mean, if I had to pick one, I'd say linger. And I'm with you on, like, usually, look, usually I would not see a correlation between some tension like this off the court and then that translating into, like, on the court and wins and losses. I don't, like, uh, that's not always the case. I get that. But I do think this is a very unique situation with a very unique damn player in Draymond. And, look, the, the Warriors are good enough, like, on paper, on the court. They are good enough that they could win the title again. And we end up saying, well, you know, it's Draymond being Draymond and they overcame it again and he fired them up, whatever it is. But I think if they win, it'll be because they're good enough to win again. It, it's not because they needed this quote unquote inspiration from Draymond. I think this is different. And even when I think about like, will this have a negative impact 
on the court this season? I would have to say yes. And the reason is because he hit a teammate. And I get that, like, it's not, you know, the rarest thing in sports. Things happen in practices. Like, teammates, you know, get into maybe little shoving matches or argue with each other all the time. That is not new. But, like, there's a reason Steve Kerr cold cocking Michael Jordan and getting into a fight with him took on the legend it did. And it's not just because it's Michael Jordan, although that's a big part of it. It's because it was an actual fight. Like, things don't usually escalate to that extent. And when it gets to that point, it is a story. And if you've, everyone can now see the video, like, Draymond tried to cold cock. I'm like, Bob Myers said yesterday, you know, they're lucky no one got hurt. And now you see the video and you're like, yeah, what if Draymond had fully connected with all that power? I don't know. What if he had broken every bone in Jordan Poole's face and Jordan Poole's out an extended amount of time? Like, do you remember when Bobby Portis hit Nikola Not, Miritich? out Nikola Miritich for like half a season. But do you remember the stories about like how serious those facial injuries were to Miritich? Yeah, he missed half the season. Yeah. Jordan Poole misses half the season, which obviously he's not going to, thank God. But if he had, if it was the injury was that severe, that is a serious, serious detriment to the Warriors' chances of repeating. And so, look, do I think he's going to punch Jordan Poole again? Or, like, he would dare do that to a teammate twice in one season? Obviously not. But I think if one week into the preseason, the tension over the extensions, who's getting one, who's not, whatever it is that caused this, has bubbled over to this point, it is really hard for me to then assume okay it got this heated one week into the preseason but uh they'll be able to just like kind of bury it for the next six to eight months i just don't think that's the case so while i don't think there's going to be maybe any more punches thrown i don't see how you can go from this this early in the preseason with an issue that's not going away by the way with these extensions like pool's going to get his draymond's not getting his i don't know how you can just kind of like now ignore that for two-thirds of the year mm-hmm. while chasing another championship I do think this is a very like special situation with a very unique character at the heart of it. And that's why I do think this is different than your usual, maybe Draymond stuff or even your usual tension between teammates. Yeah. And like I mentioned Draymond being on that knife's edge and how in the past, for the most part, you know, those times when he would teeter over onto the wrong side of it, didn't necessarily seem to affect the warriors in the big picture. Now, we could. We don't need to relitigate the KD thing, like of whether that contributed to KD leaving. So obviously that did affect them in the big picture. But I think there's a very good chance they still would have won the championship that season had KD not gotten injured when he did in the playoffs. So I think that it's possible that there is now just a bit of accumulated wear and tear with all of that stuff, and maybe that coupled with the fact that he's just frankly not as good or as impactful a player as he used to be and might naturally be granted less leeway or less patience as a result maybe that means we are at or at least close to a breaking point with him and his emotional outbursts especially when the this is an incident involving one of the younger guys on the team like i think we'd obviously be thinking a lot differently about this if it was you know Steph or Clay or Iguodala or you know even Looney mm-hmm. who'd gotten into it with Draymond because those guys have ridden the emotional ups and downs with him for so long and have experienced enough of these types of moments and enough success with Draymond to be able to say yeah well we just need to let Draymond be Draymond and ultimately we're going to smooth it over and go win a championship uh, and I know the Warriors did win a championship last season with both Poole and Draymond playing key roles. But I think it it matters that 
first of all, their roles were completely different from each other. And like, they also both had some real stinkers during that playoff run. And I feel like that could be driving a bit of the friction here, right? Where both of them are maybe saying to themselves, like, who does this guy think he is? Where Draymond's maybe feeling, whether it's warranted or not, that Poole's getting like a little bit too big for his britches. And Poole's maybe thinking of Draymond as like this washed up old man yelling at Cloud, running his mouth without the game to back it up anymore. And I think particularly for Draymond, who is like the perpetrator here, I do feel like there's got to be a lot of jealousy at the heart of this, just knowing Poole is probably going to get that big extension and he isn't and knowing what that signals about which of those two guys, the organization would choose if it came down to it. No, I completely agree. And I think it's, I mean, I don't have to say it, but it's going to be fascinating to monitor and watch as the season unfolds because the Warriors should be playing no, deep into the spring again, whether they win it or not, we'll see. But th- this story is not going away. Like, I don't care how much kumbaya we hear over the next, like, two weeks. It's not right. going away. Well, and, like, to that point about, you know, if the organization could choose between these two guys, I feel like we know yeah. which one of them they prioritize <laughs> at this point. Right, because just the stage of their careers. Like, it's nothing more than that. Like Exactly. And so I think we have to wonder whether that means – with Draymond set to become a free agent, I guess if he wants to, he, he does have the player option. But, I mean, maybe this is it for him in Golden State. Uh, it's been hard to sort of conceptualize for a long time because he just is such a part of the fabric of that team and that culture. But, like, maybe this is it. I think it's definitely possible, man. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. He's not going to get what he wants from the Warriors. But the one thing that makes me think he'll it'll, they'll end up working it out and he'll stay is because as much as he's not going to get what he wants from the Warriors, I still think he's worth more to the Warriors than any other team. Not yeah. necessarily just from an on-court perspective, although you can make that argument too, just because of, like, especially at this stage of his career, I think he is something close to, you know, the quote-unquote system player. And I think it helps that he's been in that system for so long. So I think he matches that exceptionally well. But also when you think about like what he has left and what he doesn't have left at this stage of his career, even though the Warriors aren't going to max him, I do think there will be some sort of built in like loyalty price in there where like they will take care of him in a way other teams won't. And it's one thing if another team is bidding for Draymond five years ago with like the runway he still has in his career. But if another team is you know bidding for mid-30s Draymond that doesn't have nearly as much left in the tank that can't make the same impact he once did over the course of a whole season. And like another team is not paying for the same legacy stuff the Warriors will. So even though the Warriors aren't gonna max him out, I still think he ends up staying because I think they'll still give him more than another team would, and he's still worth more to them than he's worth to any other team. So I think they'll end up working something out. He just has to accept that. It's not going to be the max. It's not going to be anything close to the max. And it's going to be a lot less than what Jordan Poole makes. I wonder if, you know, just on the open market, he would make much more than the mid-level. Probably not, man. No, I I think that's a good point. I don't think he would. Like, the mid-level now is up to, what, 10? 10-ish? More. I think it's, like, closer to 11. Okay. And with the cap going up as well. Like, say the mid-level next season's in, like, the $12 million range. Yeah. At this stage in Draymond's career, again, not the Warriors re-signing him. Is he getting much more than 225, 230 maybe? I can't see it. 
I mean, obviously, he's still a massively impactful defender. You know, maybe still the best in the world come playoff time. But, but we're I talking about like another whole year between now and then. We're talking about another whole year, and I think we're also talking about, okay, offensively, you pry him away from Steph Curry. Yeah. And, you know, presumably if you are a team that wants to sign him, you have like a, you know, the offensive infrastructure in place that can kind of absorb him. But, you know, how much longer can he be a player who can stay on the floor for big minutes in the postseason, given his offensive limitations? I think that has to be a question. Uh, That's a topic for another day. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about some breakout players. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. Okay, Cash, I think this is our third, uh, maybe even fourth annual breakout players edition of the podcast. And One of my favorite a, episodes of the year, to be honest. Yeah, it's a super fun exercise just because it gives us a chance to talk about some young, interesting players that maybe aren't on the radar. And I think that is like an important qualifier because... With this exercise, I feel like we usually try to take some big swings. Mm-hmm. And it's not like if you go and look at the NBA GM survey, I have it in front of me here. So I'll read you some of the names that were picked as breakout candidates yeah, on this can GM we, survey. Can we uh, get the contacts for all 30 GMs and send them a dictionary and explain the word breakout to them? Well, look, I understand it is not like it's a bit nebulous. Like not mm-hmm. everyone's going to have okay. the same definition, but. The leading vote getter here was Evan Mobley, then Cade Cunningham, then Anthony Edwards, then Zion Williamson. Also receiving votes were Anthony Davis. Anthony <laughs> Davis. Yeah, like did Freak they think this was comeback player of the year? Uh Rudy Gobert, like four-time defensive player of the year winner. Who else we got here? Uh Tyrese Maxey, Ben Simmons. I mean, it's just I think we need to lay out like the parameters for our purposes here okay. in case it, in case it wasn't clear, but like it, it's not that we don't include second year players. We do one of my, one of my breakout picks is a second year guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Cade doesn't really fit the bill to me just because I mean, he was the number one overall pick and it's not like he didn't like come storming out of the gate last year. I guess you could say his rookie season was disappointing I mean, he was pretty damn good, I think, like on a really bad team, but especially down the stretch, you know, it's yeah. like he he showed to me at least that he very much has the goods to justify yeah. that number one pick status and is yes. going to be, you know, something resembling a franchise player for the Pistons. Uh, and, and the same thing with Mobley, the number two pick who had a like an incredible rookie year, finished runner up in, in rookie of the year voting just doesn't really qualify as a breakout to me. I think the guy where I see the maybe dividing line is like, and I didn't pick him, but I think it would have been uh, a justifiable pick is like Jalen Suggs where yes, he was a highly touted prospect. Yes. He went fourth overall, but he had to me a massively disappointing rookie season. And he did flash some of the tools that made him a highly touted prospect, but it, it was, I think, overshadowed by 
a lot of the negative stuff where if you wanted to say, no, this is the season where he's going to put it together. He is a bit of a forgotten man in this draft class and like yeah. seemed to be surpassed by a lot of the guys, you know, both ahead of him and behind him in the draft. Then I think that's, that's justifiable, but that's kind of where I would draw the line. And obviously, you know, someone like Anthony Edwards, who is already like very well established, uh, Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson, like those aren't the kinds they, of break. I think they read your over. important players or like swing player series and just used that uh, as a list for breakout players. Yeah, seemingly they had a bunch of these guys in here: Maxi, AD, Ben Simmons, uh, Zion. Zion, Edwards. Yeah, that's five of that's your five of the guys that I picked all receiving votes in the survey as breakout yeah. player candidates. So, uh, not really what we're going for here, and. To be clear, because we are trying to take some big swings, there are going to be some big misses. So as I always do, I went back to check out our episode from last year and see what we hit on and what we whiffed on. Some of our picks, Jordan Poole, boom. Tyrese Maxey, boom. Great picks. Alexei Pokashevsky, maybe not so much. Chuma Okiki. Oh, not so much. But hey, listen, I'm holding my Chuma stock. Still a believer. Nikhil Alexander Walker. Woof. Not holding on to my NAW stock. I am out on him. But I still think Chuma is going to be good. But the point is, uh, those are the kind of players that we're looking to identify here. Guys who aren't necessarily uh, in the limelight or on a lot of people's radars. And I will say like we had uh, like a bunch of honorable mentions last year, guys that for one reason or another, we didn't pick. And in a lot of cases, it was because we had deemed them too well established already to call them real breakout candidates. But they were guys who we said were already good players that could jump up into, you know, fringe all-star territory or just become really important players. And in that category, we had Rob Williams, Jaron Jackson, Darius Garland, DeJounte Murray. So great picks in our honorable mentions last year. We uh, sound like NBA GMs with that one. Yeah. Not not so much in our actual I mean we went we went three for six. We're batting five hundred. Which well given given the fact that I think we try to dig a little deeper, you know, listen, I usually have high expectations for myself and for this show. But I'd say if we nail three of six breakout candidates when we are digging a lot deeper than people coming up with the most obvious ones i don't think that's that bad well it was actually two for five because we both had <laughs> we both had nikhil so, ah damn it so we only had five and uh, the two we hit on were pool and maxi which yay good for us uh those weren't like the boldest of picks either if we're right. being real all but, right well just dis- disregard everything i just said we are trash at identifying breakout players so now listen to us for the next 40 minutes talk about six breakout players for the yeah, 2022 listen to us and, and know that like you should take all this with a grain of salt and these are players that we are high on that you know could blossom this season or could continue to scuffle um we've each picked three guys i will kick it over to you for your first breakout candidate of the 2022-23 season. Trey Murphy in New Orleans. Second-year player. We talked about how we do have some second-year players uh, in there based on what they did in their rookie seasons. Um, you talked 
on here with Samson Folk the, the day he was on the pod. I talked about it on an episode of Unfiltered on the Scores YouTube page about why the Pelicans are built not to just surprise or have a good season, but why they're built to potentially contend if Zion is healthy and lasts all season. One of the few questions a lot of people, and myself um, as well, understandably still have is whether there's enough shooting here. Uh, we know they can kill people inside, especially with the bigs inside, inside the arc in general with the offensive uh, dynamos they've got. But three-point differential has been one of their bugaboos. I mean, I've talked about it ad nauseum the last couple of years. They've had like historically bad three-point differentials in terms of their the points they get from three-pointers versus the points they give up from three-pointers. And as good as your team is, it's going to be hard to win on the biggest stage doing that in the 2020s. Now, Trey Murphy can be a big part of changing that. And I think he will be. Uh, the, the guy's nickname is literally Trigger Trey. He's been a shooter all his life. He shot 39% on 205 total three-point attempts between the regular seasons and, and playoffs as a rookie, but it started picking up as the season went on, and he started carving out more of a role for himself as the season went on. He fills a needed positional role on a team without a lot of forward depth, so I think he will have, uh, you know, I think that kind of bigger role we started to see down the stretch of last season will continue into this year as a sophomore. He claims he's a little bigger than he was last year. I mean, look, he's still slight of frame if you're worried about the defensive side. He went from like 6'9", 200-ish at the end of last season to about 6'10", 215. Um, has the length, not necessarily the size. But I, the shooting for me is where like the key is here and why I think not just that he's going to be really important for the Pelicans, but why he could have a breakout season. Because I think he's in line to have a growing role on a really good team that could play deep into the year. I think his shooting is going to be key to that, and I think he's up to the task. Brandon Ingram, by the way, on CJ McCollum's podcast, within the last week or two, went off about uh, Trey and and said that Trey's been so good in camp so far that he's motivating him. He's motivating Brandon Ingram. Uh, his exact words were, when I see him in pickup, I'm like, I got to get on my shit because this motherfucker looks good. This is exactly what Brandon Ingram said about Trey Murphy. But yeah, I just think um, a guy with the shooting ability he has on a team that needs that shooting, that is a team in line to take a step up in line with a guy who like personally is kind of, you know, ready to take a step up. I just think like there's a lot going on here and it fits really well. I think he's going to get the chance to prove himself as honestly one of the better shooters in the league. And I think he is up to that task. And uh, I think they're, you know, if you were really, really plugged into the Pelicans last season, or you were, you know, just an NBA super fan that was like tuning into everything, you might have already seen these glimpses in Trey Murphy. But I think for a lot of people, you know, when you're looking at the Pelicans this season, I don't know how many people are really talking about, oh, that Trey Murphy is going to be a key to them. I think he will be. And I think there's going to be a lot more people who know who he is by the end of the season than they do right now. So for all of those reasons, Trey Murphy is uh, is one of my three breakout player candidates for this season. And then just a fun fact, uh, Trey Murphy's actual name is Kenneth Murphy the third. He's only uh, named Trey because he's literally the third Kenneth in his family. And uh, yeah. anyway, I, it's I thought fitting that... because, it's fitting because of how many threes he hits. Right. Well, so. It's all perfect. So Kenneth, a.k.a. Trey Murphy the third. Uh, yeah, I guess that that would make Trey Murphy the third pretty redundant then. Correct. Right. Because, like, right yeah. um, be that as it may, uh, yeah, I thought he was really good in that series against the Suns last postseason, and he was the guy they turned to when they realized that the Jackson Hayes at the four lineups weren't working, yep. and I, he really opened up the floor for them, and he was able to do so without really compromising their defense. Like they were able to stay big because he's six foot nine, 
and six foot ten now apparently. <laughs> right, right, right. But he says he says he grew about an inch and fifteen pounds. Um, great. Uh, so six <laughs> foot ten. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this a bit. The, the, the Pelicans' profile is a team that's going to play really big. You know, like they can roll out lineups with, heck, Ingram at the two, Ingram at the one, even if they want to go that route, because the fact that they have these tall playmakers, you know, guys who can operate with the ball in their hands in Ingram and Zion means they don't need to play with a traditional point guard on the floor. And they can just run out some gargantuan lineups that even though this team has some defensive holes, size makes up for a lot. Like you can patch defensive holes just by being huge. And he's going to be a part of that. And then also, like, I don't really believe in Zion at the five as like a solution to anything. The times we've seen them try to do it in the past, it's been pretty disastrous. They can't rebound. They can't defend. Obviously, if they can get to a point where they can do those things passively with him at center, it has the chance to be like a game-breaking offensive configuration. And if they're trying that, like, Trey Murphy is going to be the guy playing the four in those lineups. So he's going to be super important. I see him almost as like a Cam Johnson type of player, you know, Cam Johnson, six foot nine, like also a three point gunner, smart defender. And he's been, he's been a key figure for the Suns for the last couple of years. So I could, you know, when, when we're talking about breakout, like I don't see Trey Murphy putting up like 17, 18 points. No, a game, no. But I could see him being a Cam Johnson like role player where he's suddenly super important for a very good team. And that to me, that is a like a breakout in its own right, right? If Trey, if by the end of the season, Trey Murphy is playing that kind of role on a team that I can, you know, I'm looking at as a contender, I would consider that a breakout. Agreed. My first breakout candidate, I teased it on the last episode, Bones Highland in Denver. I oh. had said that I thought he might have a maxi like leap in him, and. I think that's maybe overstating it a bit because he is not as explosive off the dribble as Maxi is. And also, I just think Maxi's shooting leap last year is like outlier development, and we shouldn't be placing that kind of expectation on any other player. But I will say, Highland has a lot of the same tools, and he did shoot almost 37% from deep last season. So he's way further along than Maxi was as a rookie. Um, and he, you know, 19 5 and 5 per 36 minutes, 56% true shooting on 24% usage as a rookie. I mean, that is super on a good encouraging team. on a good team. And he, you know, a lot of the same measurements as Maxi, too. Like he's six foot two with a six nine wingspan. He's slight and he's a small guard, but he has the length uh, to be both a really good finisher and someone who, in theory, could you know, improve defensively. And he has to do that. And again, it's a big question whether he can because of, like, he's skinny. He's really skinny. Mm-hmm. But he's he all bones. Yeah, exactly. But he competes. So uh, I would like to see that from him. And like, yeah, he's not as explosive as Maxi, but he he has speed and shiftiness with the ball. I think he's a pretty good passer. And I've highlighted his entry passing specifically on this podcast before where He's just a slick entry passer. It's kind of like a forgotten skill in the NBA, I feel. But he throws these like sidearm bounce passes that nobody can get to to get the ball to Jokic. And there were like a couple Nuggets games I watched last year where Jokic would like repost like four or five different times, get double teamed, kick it out to Bones, entry pass, 
kick out entry pass and then like finally Jokic would make a move and go and score and I just loved seeing that um I think if there's one well there's more than one thing that I'm looking for him to improve but you know the big thing is inside the arc scoring he was only at 46 percent from two-point range last year 26 percent from floater range like he needs a little bit more of the in-between game and he's a pretty good finisher like he has that length with the full extension where when he gets to the rim he can finish but he doesn't actually get to the rim that often. And a big thing with that is I just think, especially playing with somebody like Jokic, he could stand to improve as an off-ball mover. And that's not to say he's not good off the ball. It's just last year, most of his off-ball movement was geared towards getting him three-point looks, which is fine. But I think he could definitely orient more of that toward getting himself going to the basket, whether that's on cuts or just like catch and go drives where he's punching gaps and like attacking a rotating defense. Like he has the potential to do that and do it really effectively. And playing off a of Jokic is going to give you a ton of advantages to do stuff like that. And I think that would goose his at rim numbers, his free throw attempt rate, which was super low last year. Like he has the potential to be a really, really good offensive player. The questions probably will persist on the defensive end of the floor, but I think he can be excellent offensively. And like you said, you know, it's a lot of this is about opportunity. Like when we're, Mm -hmm. when we're looking at like the players that we want to pick for this, it's like who is going to have the opportunity to break out. And I landed on bones because I'm thinking, okay, Monty Morris is gone. Will Barton's gone. Jamal Murray is working his way back from a nasty knee injury the the on-ball reps are going to be there for him. He can take them and run with them. And I would love to see him really make the most of it. Yeah, I I agree. I, my question for you would be, do you, when you call him a breakout player, are you um, like viewing the Bones breakout in the same lens I view the Trey Murphy breakout where you're like, okay, he's going to be a soup, like a really important player for a really good team by the end of the season? Or are you viewing it a little more like, okay, maybe Maxi Leap is a little too much, but like where, you know, Bones Highland even like production wise and everything is like in the most improved player race by the end of the year. Are you looking at it more of like that kind of leap, like that kind of breakout? Yeah. I mean, he's not going to start, right? Right. So I guess you could say that puts a cap on it, Mm -hmm. but he could be a guy who's averaging like 16, 17 points off the bench. And maybe, I don't know if that puts him in the most improved player conversation, but it probably puts him in the sixth man of the year conversation. Like he, And again, I think the Nuggets are going to be really good. Like they're going to be in the spotlight because they're going to be contending for the Western Conference crown and he is going to be playing an important role for them. So to me, that means, yeah, he is going to be a player who is very suddenly on the national radar uh, and playing important minutes for a team that has designs on making a deep playoff run. Cool. Um, All right. Uh, Let's go even deeper in the bag for my next one Um, and even kind of more under the radar Jalen Noel in Minnesota love it all right well interesting okay I was I thought I might get some blowback from here and you might uh question how deep in the bag I was going but um no not at all man he was yeah sneakily very important for them off the bench last season yep um, so since being a second round pick in 2019, he spent some time in the G League early. He's also dealt with a, like he hasn't had like serious injuries, but he's dealt with a lot of like little minor things. It'll keep him out, you know, for little stretches here and there, which does hamper a young guy who's trying to like solidify his place in a rotation on a team that's slowly getting better. Um, but 
if he's if he's healthy, I think you know you talked about opportunity and how that's one thing we kind of pinpoint when we're doing this. The guard depth in Minnesota behind D'Angelo Russell is is suspect. Like there's guys there, but I don't think there's guys there that I'm like okay that guy is 100% gonna like take a, like the rotation spot and run. Like you know Austin Rivers decent defensive guard, but I don't think I don't think there's any guarantee Austin Rivers is gonna play over. Uh, Jalen Noel, right? Even a guy like Bryn Forbes is more of a shooter, but he doesn't defend. Maybe you can't even play him in the playoffs. Like it's kind of guys like that. I think Noel can really fill the hole there as like the dependable guard off the bench. He's only 23 years old. Um, he's a really strong two guard. Like he's six four. It's not like he's crazy big, but he's he's kind of stocky and he's really strong. And you see it when he's bullying his way to the rim. Like he can get to the rim. He's actually like sneakily crafty once he's in there decent finisher around the rim and he also um started to shoot the ball better last year it came a long way his first couple of years he was 30 percent on 176 total three-point attempts which didn't really make a lot of sense because he was almost a 40 percent shooter in college then last season uh, 160 attempts shot 39 percent from deep so as a shooter he looked more like what his reputation was last year and if that shooting continues to um, even if it's not necessarily climbing, it doesn't have to be better than 39%. But if he's a 39% three-point shooter as a regular member of the rotation while you know still being able to get into the paint a little bit, I think there is defensive ability there, again, because of how strong he is. And it's something he actually talked about so far. I think it was on media day. Um, he talked about how he knows he has to be less aggressive defensively. If you watch Jalen Noel play, the one thing you do notice, he is very jumpy defensively. He has one of these guys that's maybe gambling a little too much on the perimeter. I think if the fact that he knows that and is self-aware about that is a good sign because if he is a little bit more of a conservative defender, I think he can be at worst passable. He is a really strong two guard. And if, you know, if he, if he's like a, three and D but with a little more even offensive pop than that for this team and it's just a dependable backup guard I think that's really important for a team that you know has pretty big ambitions coming into the year given the the acquisitions made in the summer and I think they're good enough on paper that if things break right they could be playing deep into the year but again there are some holes that need to be filled and I think one of the most glaring ones to me is one that Jalen Noel is actually perfectly suited to fill so for that reason Jalen Noel might break out player number two for this season yeah, no, I love also, it. sorry, and just before you get going too, he's, you know, as much as you want to put stock in preseason, I don't always love to do it, but when it comes to guys, I kind of peg as breakouts when, you know, they're not already established stars. The preseason does actually mean something for them in terms of like getting their reps in and, and being like getting acclimated maybe to a bigger role. I've really liked what Noel's done so far in the preseason. He's got 27 points on 10 of 17 shooting in 37 preseason minutes. So Again, might not mean anything, but better to look like that in the preseason than, you know, to be the opposite. Yeah, and, like, he was a really efficient scorer last year, man. Yeah. 57% effective field goal percentage. Like, I, I know he didn't do it in huge minutes. You know, he was playing, like, 16 minutes a game off the bench, but he's a three-level scorer. You know, mm -hmm. like, he can he can get it at all three levels. He was, like, 64% at the rim last year, 49% from floater range. That, that's just a real weapon to have coming off of the bench. And like, he can do it obviously with the ball in his hands. And you mentioned the kind of dearth of other options that they have to do uh, that kind of stuff when they're looking at their reserve unit. I mean, it's like, uh, did you mention Jordan McLaughlin? Like he's, 
He's okay. Oh, I did. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't. <clears throat> yeah, he's not bad. I think he played about 15 minutes a game last year too, but that's kind of the point I was getting to, right? When I talked yeah. about like Rivers or a Forbes or even a McLaughlin, like they don't have a backup guard that you can credibly say this guy is better and or guaranteed to like get minutes over Jalen Noel. I, if anything, I think based on where he is in his development and the flashes he's shown, I would put him as the favorite to be like the the heaviest minute guard off the bench. Yeah. And I think, you know, the bench was a, definitely a weak spot for the Wolves last mm-hmm. year. You know, we'll see, I guess, if that changes this year. Like the, the addition of Kyle Anderson is going to help. I think Nas Reed has a chance to continue, like to, to grow. Like he's gotten a little bit better every season. That could turn out to be a pretty potent bench unit there. So I'm into that. And like we've been saying with these other teams, and I think it's kind of like a theme with a lot of these picks, these are teams that we expect to kind of like be in the hunt, right? right. And so that that's like, it cuts both ways because on the one hand, like that might make a break, uh, like a breakout a little bit more visible, but it also might mean like if you are in that situation, your opportunities are capped in a way that they might not be for uh, somebody playing on a rebuilding team and getting, right. you know, all the ball handling reps they can handle. Um, yeah. So these breakouts might look a little bit different from that perspective. Like they might not be these huge statistical leaps, but maybe they're just like a little bit more nuanced uh, and, and they're happening in more pressure packed and frankly, more meaningful circumstances where the teams that they're playing on are actually vying for something. Uh, so with that said, I have a pick that I feel like kind of splits the difference a little bit. Onyeka Okongwu won't be a surprise to anybody, you know, who's listened to this podcast for uh, at least one season because I raved about him a lot last year. I just think his defensive potential is through the roof. And and conceptually, <clears throat> I think that the most valuable defensive archetype in the league right now is what Mike Prado once termed the portable rim protector. And he coined that term in regards to peak Anthony Davis. And I think the guys who I would say sort of fit that bill in the league today are like Jaron Jackson, Evan Mobley, Robert Williams. Like that that's the sort of echelon that I'm anticipating a Kongu can get into. And I think it can happen as early as this season. He's not as big as some of those guys, like the seven foot mobile rim protectors like Jaron and Mobley. He's six nine, a little undersized for center, but he's long. Like I think he's got like a seven five wingspan. He can really protect the rim and he can really move his feet. And that can be just sort of as like the backline anchor who's providing like the last layer of help. Or it can be as a one-on-one defender. Like, I don't know if you watched the game they played against Milwaukee last year where he was like the primary on Giannis and did a really good job on him. And I don't want to overreact to like a few possessions, you know, or the one when he just straight up stuffed Giannis when he tried to hit like a, a, a turnaround post fade over him. But I think he's got the juice defensively. The big question, I think, is what he's going to be offensively. And... Maybe that's less important right now because what the Hawks really need from him is defense. And I think he's at least crafty enough and skilled enough 
to get by as like a pick and roll partner for yeah. Trey Young, you know, for one of the Trae best Young's pick and roll players in the, in the league. Yeah. Like he'll put you in position to succeed, but like it's different. Cause he doesn't have the above the rim finishing game that Clint Capella has. Yeah. So maybe that makes him like less of a natural pick and roll compliment for Trey, but he has a chance to, to have more of like the connective pick and roll playmaking than Capella does where he's catching on the short roll, maybe hitting mid range jumpers or floaters making like the the four on three passes like I think he has a chance to grow into more of that type of offensive mold than just the straight rim runner and you know maybe see him like refine his post game a bit just like become more of an all-around offensive threat if he does that he's going to be one of the franchise pillars for the Hawks I genuinely believe that because his defensive ceiling is uh, outrageously high I'm on board with you man I think obviously the offense is kind of going to be the determining factor of whether he's just like this elite defensive specialist or something more than that. But I think the potential's there. And even if the offense doesn't come right away, I, like there are good defensive young bigs. And then there's like another stratosphere where a very select few are in there. And Okong was in there for me. Like his defensive ceiling is special, special stuff. Like we're talking down the line, defensive player of the year, potential, all defensive. Like that, that's how much defensive potential is in there. And if he, I don't even want to say if he starts to realize it because I think defensively, like we've seen a lot of it already, but if the consistent minutes are there, if the consistent role is there, if he starts to give the Hawks reason to, you know, have him maybe closing games instead of Clint Capella, which I think will happen sometimes this year, people will start to recognize it more. And so I think Okong was an interesting case because I think of the guys we've talked about, he's the one where it's like, I think he can actually be just like pretty similar to what he already is. But if he just does that, on a better team and with more exposure, people will think he's breaking out because I think he's that good defensively that it'll open people's eyes just being who he is already. Well, and also if he makes the leap that I think he is capable of making where he does become more of an offensive threat, actualizes his defensive potential while playing more minutes, if all that happens, this Hawks team could be really good. You yeah, know, dude. like I, we, I talked about how much I like the DeJounte fit and how much, you know, he has a chance to improve their defense. If, like, DeAndre Hunter can stay healthy, I think that's a big factor, too. And then, like, suddenly you have the pieces to be an average defense. And this was, like, the number two offense in basketball last year. If they can replicate that and get up to being average defensively, like, they're going to be flirting with 50-plus wins and making some noise in the playoffs, I think. So I, I do think... And to your point, yeah, I think he's going to be closing a lot of games over Capella. Mm -hmm. I don't know that Capella is in this team's long-term plans. And I think this season, we might start to see that kind of philosophical shift where because Okongu is in the long-term plans, he starts to get more of those reps. And maybe it's like a little bit bumpy at first, but it's worth it because they believe in his upside in a way that they don't with Capella. Man, two years ago when the Hawks made the conference finals, the difference was that their defense was like almost passable. Like their offense is that good. And Trey Young is so special offensively. And now he's got more weapons around him than he did then. That if you can construct a just passable average-ish defense around him, which is tough to construct that kind of defense with Trey Young at the point of attack. It is tough. But I think they do now have the pieces in place to be able to do that. And if you can construct that just passable defense around an offense carried by Trey Young, you are going to be competing every single night and you're going to be in the mix at the end of the year. 
And I think the Hawks and Hawks fans have to be excited about the potential for that over the next couple of years with Trey DeJounte, Okongwu, a hopefully finally healthy DeAndre Hunter in the mix. Like John Collins, we haven't really talked about. Although I, I even think like John Collins at the four looks a lot better with Okongwu on the court than it does with Clint Capella on the court. Like it, John Collins is the perfect power forward for this team. Like that's what's so frustrating with about Okongwu it. with Okongwu at the five more so than Capella, I'd say. Well, not even necessarily. Like the double drag action with Collins popping and Capella rolling has been like one of the most effective plays in the NBA the last couple of years. Like it's never, I know like he's not a great defender, but I think he's gotten to the point where he's like average defensively. And I'd, and I would argue that two years ago when they had that surprising defensive season, he was above average defensively. Like he played his ass off on the defensive end that year. I think he actually, he regressed a little bit defensively last season, but still like he's not, you know, he wasn't the problem to me. And so I think it's weird given how much they're kind of going to need his shooting at the power forward position, given that they now have, you know, DeJounte, who's not really spacing the floor when he's off the ball. It just, I don't know. He makes a lot of sense there. And maybe, maybe part of it's coming from him. And like, we've heard there have been reports or rumors about him being unhappy with his offensive role. So maybe it's coming more from his side than it is from the team's side. But you'd hope that they can kind of just find some common ground because it's a really intuitive fit between player and team if they can actually all get on the same page. Trey DeJounte, Hunter, Collins, Okongwu, if everyone's happy. Like there are not many teams and maybe a handful. And I don't even know if you can get to a handful of it where I'd say I like that five better than the Hawks five going forward. Like that is a really exciting and intriguing future core, whatever you want to call it. All right, my last of uh, my three breakout picks went back and forth on this. I considered like Kaminga or like the Kaminga-Wiseman combo in general in Golden State, but I thought, yeah, let's go a little bit more off the board, not too off the board, but a little more unexpected than the Warriors youngsters. And I ended up going with Josh Green in Dallas. Um, We've talked about the need, or I know I have a lot over the last year and a bit for the Mavs to just kind of find like someone else or needing someone else to pop given the limited resources they have to find another guy, you know, and, and surround Luca with more talent. Uh, that's a big reason why, in addition to other reasons of like why he fits, it's a big reason why I was such a big fan of them taking a swing on contract year Christian Wood. Uh, but don't forget Josh Green. He drafted a couple years ago, already took a bit of a step last season under Jason Kidd because he can really defend. And obviously Jason Kidd was looking for guys that can defend and on, on a team that got a lot better defensively. Still look pretty limited on offense other than an improving three-point shot. And you're starting to think, okay, maybe there's like some three and D potential there. But I think he can actually be more than that offensively. And it seems like the Mavs do too. Uh, For anyone that's been paying attention throughout, you know, like training camp so far, even their first preseason game, they are very focused on having the ball in Josh Green's hands. Now, part of it is also because they Luka Doncic hasn't taken part in any preseason stuff so far. You know, he's coming off another summer with the national team, deep run at Eurobasket. But they do seem to be trying to groom Josh Green as one of the guys that can help take some of the ball handling burden off Luka. Now, maybe it fails, but I have seen enough when in the limited times he's had the ball where I do think there's something there. He's got good length. He's like 6'6 with the ball in his hands. You can see over the defense. He's looking more comfortable with the ball in his hands. Even the preseason game, again, not to read too much into like a a very random number in the preseason, but Josh Green's 
for 106 games in the NBA, he hit four assists three times, okay? Like, it, it's just not his game. He had four assists in 20 minutes in the first preseason game this year when they had the ball in his hands. And again, he's starting to get more comfortable with it. I think it can be an important development for the Mavs. And so out of the three breakout players I'm picking, I would say this one is maybe the most speculative compared to the other two where I'm a lot more confident in it. But I do think I've seen just enough where like, if he can continue to grow into this role and maybe it takes the whole season, maybe maybe the first little bit of the season, it looks weird that I picked him as a breakout player. But I think if he can continue to grow comfortable into this newfound role where they're putting the ball in his hands more and by the end of the year, that is a more dependable option for them while the three-point shot continues to get better as it did last year. And while he continues to really defend his ass off at his position, like I think that is a very important player for a team that needs someone to step up because... Look, Josh Green, I'm not, he's not going to come close to replicating what Jalen Brunson gave for them. Obviously, as a ball handler, I'm not at all insinuating he will. But they need guys who can come together and fill that role. And if Josh Green can fill part of it, again, while defending the way he has and the shot keeps improving, I think there is a breakout player in there. Um, also important to know, too, like he, he's talked about it at training camp, how um, in, st- in terms of like the on-ball stuff and you know, the improvement he's made as this kind of out of nowhere potential secondary floor general, he credits working with Kyle Lowry, apparently worked a lot with Kyle Lowry this summer. Um, And I think that's something like to to take note of as well, because I don't know, like if you could have picked young players around the league based on what their skill sets or what their NBA roles already were, who were going to work with Kyle Lowry on like kind of point guard or floor general stuff. I don't think anyone on the planet would have been like, oh, Josh Green, that makes sense. So I, I just think it's like a really funky kind of thing. And um, I think it could be a really interesting and surprising development, uh, but but a really cool one. And then also just since I gave uh, since I gave Ingram praising Trey Murphy, I'll give uh, Luka Doncic <laughs> praising Josh Green as well. I think Lauren Gunn, uh, who covers the Mavs, had tweeted this one on Media Day. But Luka Doncic on Media Day, talking about Josh Green, this is going to be his year. He's in better shape. He's ready to take another step, maybe even a few steps. <laughs> Bold words from Luka As in Doncic. like a few steps from the three-point line toward the basket, attacking a closeout. <laughs> that would be nice to see. Yeah, it would be. But you know what would help him be able to do that? More comfort with the ball in his hands. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Because at the end of the day, the guys who are handling the ball for Dallas are going to be Luka, Spencer. Dinwiddie, yeah. and like Hardaway Jr. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean they shouldn't be getting him reps as like a ball handler because you need to build out that skill set yes. for the secondary creation, for like the ability to attack closeout. If you get run off the line, what can you do with the ball? Can you make that next play? Uh, can you keep your dribble alive? That that matters. But ultimately, it's going to come down to the three-point shooting. Like that is the swing skill for him. And you mentioned he improved last year, but still, two years in the league, he's attempted just over 100 threes and he shot 31% on them. And it's about the way that defenses treat him more than anything. When, you know, if the Mavs were to run out a lineup with Kleba at the five, which is what they want to get to, I feel like, because those are the lineups I feel that have the most two-way balance where they can really cook you offensively and they can lock it down defensively too. If Green's part of those lineups, it happened a couple times last year. Like a team would just just like shift a wing onto Kleba and put its center on Green. And he would be completely ignored on the perimeter. 
And that's mucking up the spacing and it's defeating the purpose of the Mavs, like trying to go with Kleba at the five and ostensibly do five out. But it's not five out if if Green's, you know, chilling above the break and there's a center standing in the paint. So, you know, in order for that to work, he actually has to be either a three-point threat or somebody who they feel comfortable using as a screener in that situation where if the other team's center is guarding him, they're still able to drag that center into action and, you know, he can be one of these undersized role men that we've sort of seen start to crop up more and more in the league where if you're a guard-sized player who can set solid screens and be a good secondary playmaker, but you don't necessarily have the shooting chops to be like a pick-and-pop threat or a spot-up threat, you can still be involved in the central action and like be a valuable part of a team's offense. But I I haven't seen any of that from him yet. Uh, I, you know, appreciate your optimism and I would like to see it happen for him because he, he can be a really good defensive player. Like that's, yep. that's where he brings value right now. So if he can build out the offensive skill set to go along with it, then yeah, he's going to be a swing player for the Mavs. So curious to see if that happens, but it, it's the three point shooting is the big one for me. Yeah. Like he's got to be a threat from out there. Uh, and speaking of which it's, it segues nicely into my last breakout pick precious Achua. Nice. The three-point shooting was the swing skill for him in the second half of last year. After the All-Star break, 39% on about four attempts per game when... I actually don't have the numbers in front of me, but like, I, if my memory serves, he was averaging like one three-point attempt per game before the All-Star break and shooting high 20s or low 30%. And suddenly, he was just like shooting with confidence, <laughs> drilling threes, drawing closeouts... And it is impossible to overstate how much that opened up his offensive game and simplified things for him. Because if you remember early in the season, there were a lot of issues with him offensively early in the season, to be clear. But the biggest one to me was he did not know where to stand. He did not know where to go. He got in people's way constantly. His timing on cuts was abysmal. Yeah, He was just cramping everybody's space. And the three-point shooting just made it all so much clearer suddenly he could spot up he would either like drill catch and shoot threes or he would draw the closeouts and then it's like you get to see the straight line speed right two dribbles full extension he's on top of the rim and it made the raptors offense so much more functional it made him so much more functional as an offensive player if he can sustain that like that right there is just a huge first step for him toward backing up what he did toward the end of last year. Because what I saw last year was one of the most incredible in-season leaps that I've yeah. ever seen from a player, yeah. from where he started to where he finished. The first half of the year, he was running like a 40% true shooting as a big man. That's hard yeah. to do. Yeah. And, and so if he can sustain the shooting, that's, that's a great first step. I do really want to see him work on becoming a more functional role man because the Raptors really need that. Yeah. I think they need a little bit more pick and roll in their offense and they just don't really have the role men to do it. Precious should have the skill set. Uh, to me, it's just like it, a lot of it's about catching the basketball. Like, and I, I kind of feel like maybe he just has small hands because he's not an uncoordinated player. So I don't think that's the issue. I think it's just, I don't know. Yeah, the catching was sloppy. No, yeah, the catching was sloppy, especially early last season. Like there were times 
he, he was getting gifts like under the basket or on on I lobs guess, too. Yeah, like, on he lobs. Was, he was biffing lob yeah. like a lot. Yeah. So I don't know, but maybe that is the kind of thing. Like I, I mean, I would literally have to go check his hand measurements right now. But it also could be the kind of thing where like, like this is not a guy who had much in the way of like offensive reps, right? Like, and he was thrust into a, you know, even early on before he really established himself in the rotation, like he was getting opportunities to do things um, that a lot of people were questioning why. And, and it, it turned out there was a method to the madness for Nick nurse and the Raptors and, and letting him explore this offensive game. Cause there clearly was something in there of untapped potential. And I, and I do wonder how much that was like, maybe like, okay, like, should you need a lot of offensive reps to, to become a consistent catcher of the ball? <laughs> maybe not, but I, I, I mean, it can't help. I sorry. It can't hurt to you know be getting be literally touching the ball more get like having it in your hands more i think the more he can do with the ball the better it has to project forward even in the smallest things like catching it on the roll or catching it in the air in the lob coming down like that was another thing too catching it in the air if he has to come down with it he would lose it a lot by the end of the year there was an improvement there and i the only thing i can correlate it to is well he was also just touching the ball he was handling it more like he was more comfortable with it in his hands which up to that point in his career he was not um so i'm really 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 excited and not just because we're in toronto to see what precious achua looks like by the end of the year because you know the the type of in-season leap he took last year is you know not not a reasonable expectation usually but i don't know like if he can make anywhere near that kind of in-season leap again now we're all of a sudden talking about a guy who like ceiling wise is uh, really interesting for a team who already has a couple high ceiling youngsters. So very exciting uh, to watch him. Very exciting for the Raptors to be able to watch how he might develop this year. And even in the preseason so far, like it hasn't always worked. There's been a lot of end-to-end, you know, bursts that end up with him leaving it short or like clanking it off the backboard. But man, there were a few more like exciting or fascinating players to watch go coast to coast in the NBA right now, then Precious Achua, like grabbing a defensive rebound and just taking yeah. off. Well, it was the uncertainty of it too, right? Because yes. you didn't know if it was going to end in like an emphatic coast to coast dunk or even like a pull-up transition three, right. which you started right. dabbling in toward the end of the season or just the most disastrous turnover you've ever yeah. seen. Or and disastrous Ra- layup attempt you've ever seen. Right. And to the Raptors' credit, they kept feeding him those opportunities. They said, if you grab a rebound, rip and run. Like we know they love to play in transition and kind of need to play in transition because of the state of their half court offense. They empowered him to do it. He got way better at it over the course of the season. The at rim finishing got way better. And again, part of that was that he was drawing closeouts uh, and just getting to make use of his speed and athleticism going to the rack. But he just became like a way, way more refined offensive player. And we haven't even mentioned the defense, which is the real selling point with pressure, right? Like you talk about portable rim protectors. He is the best rim protector on a Raptors team that is kind of starved for it, but he is so versatile, especially in ball screen coverage. You can do anything with him. He can switch. He can hedge, like he can come up to the level. And then like, there are some guys who come up to the level just to sort of be a disruptor but then it's a four on three behind them. Precious gets up to the level and then he gets back into the play. Like his feet move so well going forward and back. It's like he doesn't experience friction or momentum the way that other players seem to. Like his feet just glide across the floor. He is so quick. And I'm just- 
he's so much like there were a lot not a lot but there's enough bigs in the league now obviously with the way the game has gone and positionless ball and all that there are plenty of bigs in the league who we can say are like comfortable guarding on the perimeter right if they have to on switches or stuff but even of that select group there's very few of those guys who like it looks second nature to like even some of the bigs who are good defending on the perimeter there is still some sort of like awkwardness to it and i don't know if it's because precious actually isn't that huge like he's 6-9 it's not like we're talking about a 7-2 guy having to hunch over and whatever but when you watch precious defend on the perimeter it looks second nature to him like there is not awkwardness there there's no like lumbering weird it's he he's moving with like the fluidity of a guard defending on the perimeter while also being able to do what he does inside as a rim protector and in movement like just the total package for the modern game defensively and on a Raptors team that needs it. So yeah, I mean, I think of the six guys we've talked about, I think he's, I think he's the best of the six right now. I think he's going to have the best season of the six. Maybe you can debate between him and Okongwu for who you think has the highest ceiling of these six. Mm -hmm. But I think based on the offensive glimpses now we've seen from Precious, I would put him on the six we talked about today as the highest ceiling guy, just like a a smidge above Okongwu. Yeah. And I would say, you know, to the the offensive side of the ball, if the Raptors aren't going to run a lot of pick and roll, because, you know, even apart from the lack of rollmen, like they don't have a lot of great people to be the ball handler in pick and roll. Like there's obviously Van Vliet. And Siakam can do it, but like typically with Siakam, you're going to be running an inverted pick and roll with the guard screener. And apart from that, there's just like, isn't really the pull-up shooting to do it. So if it's like last year where a lot of their offense is predicated on dribble handoffs, I would like to see more of Precious as like the trigger man in DHOs. And let's see if he can do some of the DHO keeper stuff and using that athleticism and that speed to get to the rim. Just super funky, interesting player. Very excited to watch him this season. And I think I, I pretty much agree with with what you said about him being, you know, the best player of that group right now. And if we're talking about the Raptors, in terms of upward mobility on that team, like guys with growth potential on that team, it's Barnes and then it's Achua to me. I agree. So I agree. Let's see where that goes. Um, that wraps up our main spotlight breakout candidates we will do a quick honorable mention section and like we said at the top this is the one you should probably pay more attention to because we had way more success with our honorable mentions last year so uh any anybody we haven't mentioned for you cash that you considered or that you think deserves mention here i considered isaac okoro just because of the role i think he's gonna have on a Cavs team that you know should be even better i had a Cavs uh, wing too who's not isaac okoro but i'll let you finish before no, I who get is it? to that dean wade lamar stevens <laughs> uh oh nice okay i mean lamar i think i put him on my all nobody or no i think he was an honorable mention for my all nobody team last year maybe i can't remember um, he was sneaky cool. good last year and yeah. they have a dearth of wings like they're gonna need somebody to step up i think it could be him um i mentioned like the the warriors youngsters uh throw them out again obviously coming a wise man but they've been talked about ad nauseum uh amir coffee i thought almost had like a mini breakout last year with the clippers he like did. sneakily turned into like a solid nba player considered actually going with him this year but then i won i don't think he can break out much more than he did last year especially given the returning clippers like he's just not gonna have the opportunity again but i do i almost Threw him in honorable mentions here, just almost as a as a nod to what he did last year and how I wished I'd picked him as a breakout candidate last year. Um uh Cam Thomas, I feel like you had talked about maybe, 
before we I, he's he's on my honorable mention. Oh, okay, yeah. So uh, that Nasir Little was a guy I considered in nice. Portland. Um, and then other than that, didn't put him on my breakout list this year. But Poku, <laughs> man, keep keep the candle burning. Yeah. Uh, I admire your eternal undying optimism and hey once again he's gonna get the champs the opportunities will be there yeah. no chat this year yeah. team's gonna probably want to lose a lot of games again so they're gonna give him the ball and say go lose us a bunch of games do you your know worst. what though i i uh i mean there, there's a lot of reasons to be sad over chet missing the year but one of the reasons because it actually would have just been hilarious and fascinating to watch chet poku pick and roll like that two-man game which they definitely would have run between two yeah. like legit seven foot the thin towers, what, yeah, like ball handlers, like it just would have been crazy. But uh, unfortunately, we won't get to see that this year. But yeah, by next year, the, the five-five pick and roll, literally, by next year when hopefully Chet's healthy and Poku is a uh, breakout candidate for the seventh straight year. No, he hasn't even been in the league seven years. Yeah. Then, it'll, then it'll, we can we can watch it. All right, who are your? I, no, I have a, a serious question though, because obviously that would be like funny to watch. But in what scenario does it even make sense to run a pick and roll between those two guys? Because if uh, when you are gunning to lose seventy games and you don't have other options, and two of the guys on the court, two of your the two ball handlers on the court are both seven feet, I know, uh, but it just seems like a waste and, of time because who, anyone who's guarding Poku or who's guarding Chet could presumably guard the other guy as well. So it would just be a switch, right? Like an auto switch, and then you're not gaining any advantage from it. Yeah, you'd think, but again, when you are not in the business of winning games yet, and you're just letting these guys rant, like do things and discover things, and maybe you just want to see what it looks like. Um, okay, so yeah, you mentioned one of them, Cam Thomas. Not really my type of player, usually kind of just a pure bucket getter, but I think as a pure bucket getter, he's got a lot of talent, and uh, I feel like the Nets are going to need somebody to pop off of that bench. Kind of feel like it could be him. And... I had him in my honorable mention last year, but I'm going to mention him again. Jaden McDaniels. They fought hard to keep him out of that Gobert trade. I really liked that decision. I think he is going to be, like he was last year, very important to maintaining the bedrock of that defense and keeping them solid with his ability to not only be like a one-on-one stopper on the wing, but as like a tremendous second side help guy. I mentioned like the limitations of Utah and why like their defense couldn't hold up despite having Gobert in the middle. You know, honestly, even like more so than the shoddy perimeter defense was the complete lack of secondary rim protection. And they get that with McDaniels, like he can do it. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do this season. And honestly, just if he can get his three point shooting up to the point that he can be on the floor with Gobert. Uh, because if he is, their defense is going to be really good, but maybe their offense can't survive in that alignment. So uh, important season for him. I mentioned Lamar Stevens and then Obi Toppin with the Knicks. I kind of feel like this is the year where he's actually going to get the opportunity to break out. Maybe like as long as Randall's there, he's just going to be blocked. And I don't know how... They, they move on from Randall because they signed him to that big extension, and I don't really think he has a ton of trade value on that deal. But I just feel like at a certain point, yeah, Tibbs is the kind of guy who's going to chase every regular season win, but they're not going to be in the mix for much outside of like a 
to me anyway, like I think their best case scenario is like an eight seed. And so at that point, it's like, why not lean into some of the younger guys on this team and try and yeah. build something with uh, more, more of like a forward looking bent, you know, like more reps for quickly, more reps for Toppin. And I think Toppin's good. Like he was pretty good last season. Um, maybe we see more lineups just with, like, I know they got Hartenstein now and, and obviously they've invested in Mitchell Robinson, but you know, maybe more lineups with Toppin at the five or Randall at the five, like that front court, those two guys together, which maybe is questionable defensively, but can definitely work offensively. So there it is. Six total breakout picks from the two of us, plus a bunch of honorable mentions. And, uh, that's it for this episode. So I'll kick it over to you, Cash, for our fan shout out of the week. Yeah, JJ Meredith out in Michigan tweeted at me a few weeks ago, said he's a huge fan of the pod, been listening since 2018. So an OG listener said it's his favorite basketball pod, hands down. He had also asked me uh, a question, which I ended up answering on Twitter, just um, how good down the road do I think or do we think the Pistons can be with the young core they have currently assembled? Like I said, I answered him on Twitter. Um, uh, obviously told him I, I think the Pistons can be really damn good down the line. I think the first step is finding the franchise type of talent. I think they found that in Kate. I think he can be that guy. Um, I think when you look at the last few drafts they've had, I think they've come out pretty good. I think they've been the winners on like two or three of the last drafts. Um, even this year, like getting Jaden Ivy where they got him to add to the mix with Kate. There's just a lot of like high ceiling guys there. And I think as I wrote on draft night in, in my draft night recap, it's like the, the piss there, this core, I think will eventually win a lot of games for Detroit. It's just not going to happen now. You know, they're not going to win a lot of games yet. They're still not good enough now in a really tough East. So there's still going to be some growing pains, but I do think the young core they've assembled has an extremely bright future. The big first step in getting the, you know, potential true franchise guys out of the way. Uh, and I think the future is bright. So I don't know if you have any, uh, any words of encouragement or discouragement for JJ's Pistons? Well, yeah, encouragement. I mean, I'm very high on Cade long-term. Uh, I'm like reasonably high on Sadiq Bey. Yep. And obviously he's not part of the long-term core, but getting Bojan is going to be so helpful and so necessary for their offense. Like they've just had no spacing whatsoever the last two seasons. And I think for Cade, like just giving him more room to operate more options, a better spaced floor. It's just, I think that's really going to help him. And I cannot believe that he came as cheap as he did. I can't believe there wasn't a team out there that sought fit to beat that offer. But to me, even though they're not, you know, really going to be in the mix for anything meaningful right now, I thought it was a great move for the Pistons just because of how having a guy like that, can just sort of make things easier for everybody else on offense. Yeah. And best case scenario is uh, like a win for both of them. You know, Boyan goes there, uh, has a good, like kind of veteran season for them where he, he does what we all know he can do offensively while being a good veteran presence, opening up the floor for Kate. And then by the time the deadline comes, maybe they do flip him for, you know, a better price than they even had to pay for him. And it's win-win, right? They add whatever kind of draft capital they can, Boyan ends up maybe on a contender. So I, I think that partnership could actually work out for both sides as well. But anyway, thanks, JJ, for supporting the show as long as you have. Uh, appreciate you reaching out. I hope we've answered your question uh, in a suitable manner for you. The usual call out, if you want a shout out like JJ got today, hit us up on social media at 
Joey underscore double Y-O-U at Joseph Cacharo. Email joe.wolfond at thescore.com. Joseph.cacharo at thescore.com. Find me on Instagram, joe underscore 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 cash. Let us know how long you've been listening, where you listen from, what you like or don't like about the show. Hit us with a question like JJ did, and and we'll get you a shout out on a future episode. Till one of those future episodes, I'm kicking it back to today's host, Joe Wolfond. I got nothing more to add. We're just, uh, we're getting excited. Like, the season is truly around the corner. And I feel like once we start doing, you know, these annual episodes, like the breakout players, that's when you sort of know that it's close. Yeah, it's uh, in the air. So uh, we look forward to coming back with another one of these preview episodes next week. And I mean, that is next week is the last week that we will have of preseason content because the week following the We're NBA season, regular will, season be, ball. will be underway. So looking forward to everything that's around the corner. And looking forward to having all of our listeners along for the ride. But for now, we're going to put a bow on this. For Joseph Cacharo, I am Joe Wolfond. We'll talk to you all soon. Pound the Rock. 